Look out, podcast world. So, how do you want to intro this? You're the great telecasting voice. And yet I can't get a fucking job. You know, like, what is this? It's difficult to find a job when states are shutting down and nobody's allowed to go anywhere. I've decided to integrate a little of my favorite weirdness. Which is? I'm going to pull a tarot card for us today. An animal tarot card. Yay! Because it's fun and it helps you believe in magic. And right now life... We should be focusing on magic because... We should. Life is magical and everyone has forgotten that at the moment. Including myself. To be perfectly honest. It's hard when there are no external sources of magic to draw from and you have to pull that shit out of your tired, desiccated body. (laughs) So should this be for podcast listeners or should this be for us? Let's do the first one for us and then we'll do the second one for the listeners. Okay, I love this idea. So just have a moment of just quiet and calm And we just want the cards to reveal to us something that we need to know today. We mean Raven and Luna or have the message from the animal world because they are insightful and magical. Our card for today is Bobcat Spirit. Interesting. And it's an eight. Ooh. And it's an eight, which... It says, the bobcat moves mysteriously, and when bobcat spirit appears to you, she brings a powerful reminder that not all things in life can be explained or understood through the power of the intellect. Trying to figure things out, find logical explanations, or predict what will happen based on reason and facts will not provide you with the certainty and comfort you seek. Bobcat asks you to trust in the great mystery and let the secrets of the universe reveal themselves to you through direct experience. Allow your vision to slip into soft focus and you will see between the lines and observe what has been hidden there all along. Bobcat spirit helps you know intimately the pulse of the divine in the world. Trust in the wisdom, yet know that understanding may not come as you would like it to. (laughs) What you experience through your heart and intuition, which comes to you as the voice of your inner knowing, will guide you now as you accept the secrecy inwoven into the fabric of existence. No matter what, the appearance of Bobcat Spirit is a sign that you are being called to trust, even when what is revealed does not agree with your need for intellectual certainty. Well, that actually kind of feels good to me because I was just worried about money and I'm like uncertain of how I'm going to pay my bills in a couple of months. And I'm working on a bunch of different avenues of how can I do this? And maybe I just need to trust and focus on your dreams. Um, It says... Let your logical mind take a rest as you start to perceive the energy of your environment. Bobcat spirit wants you to be stealthy and wise and keep your own counsel. Let yourself be a mystery yet to be revealed. And it says, cherish and focus on your most desires and dreams. So do that. Vision board time. Oh, I have one going. Do you? I do. Good. I have one, but it's a little sloppy and I think I need to redo it. But That's okay. So what about our listeners? Okay, next up, folks. 
And um, this is from the Colette Baron Reed Spirit Animal Oracle, which it's really pretty. It has very beautiful pictures. And I thought that was very, that was a great card, especially for what you were talking about. So our listeners, many whom are in India, shout out to our Indian listeners. Very exciting. It is exciting. I'm like, I'd like to hear more about what you're listening for and what you're listening and how you're listening and how do you, how do you listen to us? Are you on a phone? Are you on a computer? I mean, how, where I'm so curious. I would love insight from India. Would love insight from India. Would love a lot of insight from India. But this is for all of our viewers. The card for today. Be spirit. Bee. It's a bee. How cute. Yeah. And that is sweet results await, which I feel like is kind of for us too. And that is a seven card. Be spirit. Sweet results await. The be spirit's message is that sweet rewards are on their way if you are willing to get your ego out of the way and immerse yourself in the connected energy of all things. Be spirit knows not to be a not to let a sense of being a separate self get in the way of a good thing. Spirit is always producing honey, miracles, and magic are everywhere. When you are connected with the great hive, you are vibrating and buzzing in exquisite harmony. I'm just going to kind of leave that there um, because it's kind of cool that it's a bee and a hive and it's our listeners and we're creating this sort of like vibration together. Yeah, yeah. So, I like that. I, I like that. We're going to vibe. We're going to. Buzz, buzz, buzz. buzz we're going to elevate. Instigate. <laughs> I like instigate. I like instigate. So we should probably catch people up. We've been doing a lot of recordings, but not putting them out because of the timeliest nature of the elections. So uh, sorry we've abandoned you, listeners. We, you've always been in our hearts. I could have been thinking of you. Yeah. It does. It really does. So, Raven, what has been happening in your world? I know that last night we were talking on the phone, and death came up. I was actually just going to bring up death. Well, we're on the same wavelength. Death is the theme of 2020. We've had over 250,000 people die in our country. Worldwide, it's in the millions. It is Uh, a death. It is a great, it's a great death. And I don't mean like great, like it's great. No, I mean like it's a great number of death. Like it's an overwhelming death. Wild to me that nobody's talking about how many souls have left the building. You know, we're making our way out, y'all, for some reason. But uh, we're still here. We got left behind. <laughs> don't turn this into some Christian book. Yes, this is not the... um. What do they call that? Left behind. <laughs> it's not the reckoning. It's rapture. Rapture. Yes. I knew the good old internet would help. Took a long time to figure that out. But yeah, we are not being raptured. That's not what coronavirus is. This is a disease spreading out of ignorance. And I was listening to the news at my parents' house yesterday. And they love to have like opposing viewpoints. People will call in 
and leave voicemails basically. And uh, there were people who, and the question was like, are you going to follow the governor's regulations? And there were people who are like, of course we're going to follow the governor's regulations better six feet apart than six feet under. And I was like, Oh snap. And then there were people like, fuck this. I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to go out out of spite. I'm going to have a big Thanksgiving out of spite. And I'm like, we want small businesses to survive, so we want this to end as soon as possible. Well, I guess some folks, um, and I was telling you, you know, basically the people that I work for are very conservative, um, and someday they'll hear this and fire me, and it'll be the greatest day of my life. We had a denier in disease and science, and guess what happened? He is now suffering and has been for weeks with coronavirus. Which brings up a, a, an interesting point. I've seen a lot of these kind of morbid posts. There'll be a screenshot of someone saying like, this isn't real, blah, 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 blah. Followed by doing. like, I'm sick. And then an obituary. Yeah. And it seems like these people don't have a fear of dying from the virus because they don't believe it exists, but scared to die when they actually get it. I'm I'm interested in that fear of death because I don't know what happened to me that broke me along the way, but I no longer have a fear of death at all. I think death is going to be awesome. I think it's going to be beautiful and almost like, just like, I, I think people are afraid of death because they're so uncertain of what comes next. And I just think you don't really need to worry about that. Just enjoy the experience. It's the great release, but it's also the great unknown. And so for an adventurer such as yourself, the great unknown is like the the vast adventure, the greatest venture of all. Um, we're not saying like we want people to die or no. encouraging you to take a shortcut. And I heard Do that. Do not take shortcuts because yeah. this is my fear. Okay. What if hypothetically you kill yourself and then you have to start over again from the beginning, live your entire life over again. That would suck. Yeah. And you wouldn't know. So you'd probably make like the same exact mistakes. And then you're in a hell loop because you keep killing yourself at the end of that. And it's like never ending cycle until something changes within you. But yeah, I agree. You don't know. And everybody in the spiritual realm always says don't take shortcuts uh, because you need the lessons. You need that long ride, you know, and you also need to do whatever it is you're supposed to be doing here uh, till you take off. And it's really interesting because some people will live very short lives, um, but they impact a great number of people. And you never really know what your purpose is until you're done. And I think a lot of people struggle to add meaning to their lives when, uh, and they look outward when they should be looking inward. Yeah. You can find a lot of purpose if you stop questioning, you know, like that your job is your purpose. Like, what should I do? What should I do? Like, be a good person, help others. Not hard. Well, I think it's no longer the time of the guru, like where people look outside of themselves. And even the gurus are saying like, you know, the the greatest guru is within you already. And years and years ago, because of the way the world was set up, you had to get information from a source. Yeah. And so that source was outside of yourself. I think we're in a time where we are transitioning into the age, the Aquarian age and age of enlightenment. It's a rough, rocky start. but it's also you see within people, they're accessing things within themselves. And and if you think about it throughout life, I mean, I'll read a book and go, wow, I already had 10 of those thoughts already. How did I get those downloads? There's 
there's a lot more accessible than we ever, ever thought. So I don't know. I mean, they say the portal, it's so interesting because your birthday is so, so close to this, is the 1221 Aquarian conjunction where Saturn and Jupiter meet up and we are starting. Yeah, we're starting into the, the age of the Aquarian age. We started already, but this is like the real the preamble. Yeah, like we, we've been going through the preamble and now we're we're busting through the gates, you know, the pearly gates are open. I I don't really know all the stuff because I only pay half attention to half of everything. So you know what, that's not bad, though, because if you take too much from one source, you block out other sources because you're like, well, this is the right thing. So those are wrong. But if you kind of half ass it, you can take a little bit from everywhere. And I think the greater message is kind of scattered. It's like a, it's a scavenger hunt. It's, it's hidden in all the religions. That's Absolutely. why there's no right religion and there's no wrong religion. There's so much truth in every religion. That's why we shouldn't be fighting each other. We should be piecing the puzzle together. And this is really funny. My mom and I were looking for, well, my mom was looking to try a different church because she was sort of done with the formality of the Catholic church. And I was like, yeah, I'll go with you. And she said something about like non-denominational churches. And I, not being an adult and not understanding what words meant, thought that that meant like, we're going to go to a place with Buddhists and Muslims and Jews and Christians. And we're all going to hang out and talk and like have these great spiritual discussions. And then I come to find out it just means like it's an unflavored version of Christianity. It's supposed to be that though. Like if you look at a non-denominational church, they have the symbols of all the religions around and it is supposed, but it always ends up being like a watered down Christianity because people aren't bringing in Jews and bringing in Buddhists and bringing in Muslims. To be fair, I did bring my Wiccan friend and I am pagan. So whether they knew it or not, (laughs) we were there. Yeah, I didn't like that. I didn't like that. Didn't stick. Did not like it. My mom went for a little bit longer than I did, but she didn't like it that much either. I just feel like Christians out there Baptists, Catholics, Protestants, you're all Christians. Stop with the dumb thing and just be Christians together and talk about the teachings of Christ and maybe try and be more Christ-like. I don't know. Like, your differences are so minor. You're all reading the same book. And I really like um, Judaism's interpretation of the uh, what the Christians call the First Testament a lot better than Christianity's version of it. So like, can we get some Jews in there too, like to teach the beginning part and like, then the Christians can do the Christ part. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, not, um, I'm not trying to tell people how to do their own religion, but like, I just think like as an outsider, this would be a more effective way of getting more people to vibe together. Well, as someone who's gone in and out of so many different churches, mostly Christian or Catholic or whatever, when I was younger, uh, and seeing that, like, nobody's actually paying attention even to their own scripture, (laughs) like idolatry. We're running around wanting what our neighbor has and fucking over anyone we can and putting these giant symbols of a dead man around our neck and not seeing that that's actually going against everything that's written in the Bible. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of 
crazy. And, and that's why so many young people have just had it with religion because it doesn't, they can see the hypocrisy. They can see right through it. And I think it's beautiful. It's like, yeah, we're going to figure something else out. That's great. I, um, I'm not an atheist by any means and I don't have any problems with atheists. I just think that that's way too limiting of a, of a purview to just be like, well, there's nothing. And I know there's nothing because life is so much more interesting than that. Like just sample some flavors here and there, you know, read some Tibetan Buddhism, just do it. I'm telling you. Take a walk in the woods, though, and look at how everything was created. And if you don't see the magic and mystery in the DNA of a plant and a flower and a tree and that vibration, uh, you're missing out. From having a science background, you would think that I would be more leaning atheist, but I see magic in science. And I think science is a way that we can interpret magic. And the more we learn about plant communities, about trees, about forests, and how they talk to each other, the more magic we find. People think that plants aren't alive. I mean, you know, they're alive, but are they alive, alive? They're alive, alive. They move on a timeline that we just can't even see. They live such long lives and they breathe. And And they they communicate. And when you cut off one of their limbs, you can still actually see the entire placement of that limb there because there's such energy that comes out of them. I mean, to me, science is proof of the greater spirit. I have been working on this novel. I'm pretty sure I've mentioned this a couple of times for about five years now. And it merges science and spirituality. Uh, That's like the main theme of it is that uh, my two main characters are research scientists and they are researching the spiritual and I really need to start writing the rest of that because it's almost done I just need to like fill in the holes do it now this is the time you have the time time. and I have the time I really need to get on this get on I'm gonna remind you I'm gonna remind you because I think that you definitely are channeling I think for me when I write it's like channeling spirit like my poems it's not even me. I'll go back and read them. And I'm like, wow, who wrote this? I do that all the time. I will find <laughs> old writing and I'll read it and I'll be like, I didn't fucking write this. <laughs> There's no way I wrote this. And exactly. Like, I don't even remember writing this. It just kind of comes out of you like a waterfall, just like you're vomiting it onto a page, but you're connected to something else. And it's like, you're not even, you're just the medium. You're not even. Absolutely. But that's what a musician is. That's what anybody who has these like talents, I really believe they're just a medium like for universe. something higher or the universe or collective consciousness. Because when I was a kid, I would literally run across the room, find pen and paper, and it'd be like, yes. and be like what was that? Like, and it would be really that? profound. And you'd be like eight years old and you just like <laughs> look back on that and be like, what the hell was that? Like, why did, why did this happen to me? Which I love. And it doesn't, I don't give myself enough space. And I think maybe a lot of our listeners have that same issue. It's like, all of us have these beautiful gifts. And we're all mediums, in some fashion, and we're not giving ourselves the place. But maybe the pandemic is giving us the space to really go inward, and we're not taking advantage of it. The problem with that is we're all experiencing trauma, and that cuts off people's gifts. So while we may have the time, we don't have the emotional energy or the ability to connect with that higher power when you're dealing with such an enormous 
stress. I mean, the threat of death every time you go to the grocery store is pretty traumatic. It is. It is. I don't have a fear of death, but I know I can palpable. It's palpable that I can see it in the faces of everyone around me. It's rage. It's anger. It's upset. It's all of these things. It's I've lost my job. I can't see my family. I lost a loved one. And yes, you you see it and feel it in every human being around you right now. It is. And I'm not so worried that I would get it. I mean, honestly, I feel like if I do, I'll be okay. I don't think that I'm going to die anytime soon. And if I'm wrong, hey, I'm willing to admit that I'm wrong. I just don't feel like I'm dying anytime soon. And so I'm more worried about giving it to people who are more vulnerable. Right. And And that's when nobody's responsible for someone else's death. Right. And that's what this guy, I said to him, and I didn't mean to be a dick, but I was like, so when you were running around without a mask on saying, everyone's looking at me like I'm some kind of murderer, and now you have this, and you were running around without a mask on, is it possible that you are a murderer? Yeah, it is. Kind of a dick thing for me to say, but nobody's thinking about the fact because it's invisible. And when something's not visible to you and you don't see the results, like you breathed on someone who breathed on their grandmother and they died and that can be tied back to you, there's no responsibility for what you've done. I also think that uh, invisibility when it comes to illness is a problem that a lot of people face when they have mental illness or I have migraines and you can't see a migraine. So people don't take things seriously that they can't see because you can't see it. So you don't think about it. Whereas like if people's arms and legs were falling off, people probably would be taking it a little bit more seriously with polio. We had people in iron lungs. You could see that. Well, and the other thing is, is people do not, and this is the example with this dude, if they haven't gone through it, they don't believe it's real. So people who've never had a like mind splitting headache that makes them want to vomit or hasn't seen it, I've seen you go through it. I've never had the pain, but, but being an empathetic human being watching you go through that, I know that it's excruciating. And more than anything, all I would love to do is be able to siphon that out of you somehow, understand why this is happening, and then make it go away, or put it into the core of the universe and let it eat it up for you. But yeah, so I mean, but people don't know how to empathize. It's it's the age of apathy. So it's interesting that you said that because um, recently I saw some stuff on social media about how certain types of empathy can actually be a, a product of trauma. There is like natural empathy where you walk into a room and you suddenly feel what's going on in the room. Like you have no idea what's going on. You walk in and you feel sad all of a sudden, like that's a natural empathy. But there's also a type of empathy, people who claim heightened awareness that are projecting because they were abused and you develop a heightened awareness of body language and tone as a survival tactic. That type of empathy is unhealthy because you're constantly assessing and assuming the emotions of others and assuming people's feelings to know better than they know themselves is wildly unhealthy. But you're absolutely right because when you have someone like a parent who terrorizes you every time they walk in the room, you learn to read every single emotion they have in order to keep peace and to avoid a violent interaction. I grew up that way. And so now when I walk into a room, I can feel 
what every single person in the room is doing, it does create a heightened sense of your surroundings. Definitely. The two things are related. I don't think you can be a sensitive person without being more sensitive to abuse. And I also think that once you've suffered that abuse, it does force you to become more sensitive that you are intertwined. Yeah. I mean, that's why I've always embraced the fact that, you know, yeah, I didn't have the worst childhood, but I didn't have like the quintessential whatever people think a childhood is supposed to look like. Um, and, and nobody really does. I think every human being that lives has trauma, even if it's your wealthy parents who put you in boarding schools and do not ever touch or hug you and you live in this sort of isolation tube of reality. You know? I also think it's because people are just sort of winging it. And we used to, as a people, we would grow up in a community where grandmothers and aunties and uncles and cousins would all take care of you. And now you have your mother and father doing it alone. They don't know what they're doing. They're doing their best. And oftentimes their best fucks you up. Well, because their best is just a version of what their parents did, only they're trying to make it better. And in some ways they do. And in some ways they make it worse. But we don't have multi-generational homes like we should or communities that are picking up the slack. And it's exhausting right now to be a human being. So we were talking about this wonderful movie, What Dreams May Come. And I just feel like we need to let our listeners know that that is one to watch. It's about... uh, what happens when you die. And it's beautiful. It's absolutely gorgeous. Um, cinematically and story-wise, it's beautiful in every way. And it's Robin Williams, so what's not to love? But uh, it's a beautiful movie. I looked it up. It's free on Peacock right now. And apparently Peacock is a free service. But check it out. It does really sort of sidestep religion in a beautiful way. But it makes like so much more sense to me about what death really would look like. It's realistic, beautiful. It makes people not as afraid, I think, of dying. I think so, too. And maybe that's where it all went wrong or went right for me. Because it is weird to not have a fear of death when most people have a fear of death. But I feel like I saw that at such a weirdly young age. <laughs> it scarred you for life. No, no I mean, I think, I think it was perfectly timed. Um, well, if you think about other cultures and they have like, you know, de las muertes, I probably totally mangled that day of the dead. But you're you're constantly surrounded around the fact that one day we all die. Our ancestors are there. Nobody talks to me about my ancestors or death. I just experienced it eventually. And it was ugly and morbid. I think it's gross to have a cadaver on display, embalmed and dressed up to look like they're alive. It's a little confusing. There is actually a culture that um, doesn't embalm, and it's really strange, but it's also very sweet. Um, They just, they don't embalm, but they dress up the dead, and they kind of, like, position them so that they're, like, doing something that they would have loved, and they kind of just let them hang out and rot. They still kind of talk to them and interact with them, and... Well, I had this discussion with my son last night. We got onto the death topic as, you know, this is the time of death, kind of. We're headed into winter during a pandemic. People are dying everywhere. So the topic of death comes up quite a bit. And he asked me what I, you know, would want. And I was like, maybe he came up with a beautiful one on his own because I said, oh, just burn me up. Take me, my ashes, wherever you want. Maybe a place I've never been. And he's like, how about I make a rose bush in the backyard and I can come visit it? And I was like, that's actually really sweet. That is really sweet. Um, There was this 
uh, story that my cousin told me. They were on a boat ride and uh, there was someone who was dumping ashes off of the boat. And they said that they uh, had about seven places that they were supposed to go and scatter a little bit of ashes. Like it was a, a trip that they had to do. Brought up a couple different points because I really like that. But they like were a also death like scavenger hunt. You, it is a death scavenger hunt. That's how I look at it. <laughs> it really sort of depends on who you're getting to scatter those ashes, though, if they'd be into it or not. Because it really does delay the process of mourning. You're still scattering the ashes and you're still dealing with the death. But I think it could be valuable because death takes a really long time to grieve anyway. And so no, this would be getting you out to beautiful places. I always joke that, and I'm also not joking, that I want half my ashes on Mount Hood and half at the coast. But then the more I think about it, I'm like... There's a couple other places I'd like my ashes to be. So maybe I will do a death scavenger hunt. No one is guaranteed a tomorrow. And with that in mind, we should, as a society, talk a little bit about death more and be more prepared for it. I do think a lot of people would benefit from seeing a grief counselor, regardless of how their loved one passes. And I, I think that we just really need to take the stigma away from death. Well, if we communicated with the spirit world more and we actually put our like money where our mouth is or whatever that phrase is, when it comes to spirituality, it wouldn't be such a suffering experience. Uh, my good friend's uh, mom passed away 10 years ago and uh, she's a very spiritual person, but her brother isn't as spiritual. And he reached out to me and said, I want to... I really feel like, you know, this is going to be a painful 10 year of reunion kind of of my mom's death. And I said, well, have you been talking to her? Have you, you know, maybe you should write to her because when people die, they're not just gone, their memory and all the things that they did and everything that they were to all the people they loved are still here. And there's a bridge between the two worlds. I do feel like you can communicate, whether it's just in your imagination or for real, to the other side. And it makes it a lot less definitive and scary, like the end. Someone actually said this to spiritual beings. Death isn't as big of a deal as it is to mortal beings. That, you know, death is like, they're just in the next room. They're just over. Yeah. Calm down. You're going to see them in like a second. Because in the relative scheme of time, it's not really that long of a, of a time. Right. And uh, I do like the idea, and I do really jive with the idea that death has a different time than life. We always think about time in this really linear fashion. I think that's just a lie we tell ourselves to give comfort. And I think after death, that lie just disintegrates. And time isn't what we think of it now. So you could be... You could die and immediately the people who are living are already there because time doesn't exist. Yeah. So you're never a moment without anyone because as soon as you cross over into that, into that other realm, time no longer exists and everyone you love is there, even if they're still living. Yeah. Well, which is why when a lot of people cross over, I've had a lot of friends lose their parents this year um, and they'll actually see relatives in the room, kind of like they're waiting for that person to cross over. And you hear these stories all the time, especially with hospice workers and people who have lost family and they'll have full on conversations and they're laughing as they're in the process of dying with 
I have people who are already dead. And so it's comforting that like, you're not going to just walk into this abyss of nothingness. And that's where we were talking before about like, whether or not you believe in something, it is healthy to believe in something because so because whether it's true or not, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It gives you comfort and you need comfort in times of great struggle. And death is, is a time of great struggle for many people. Most people, I would say. And I do like the idea that other other dead people will come for you and, and, and help you. Yeah. And you get close. The veil between worlds gets thinner for you and you start to see your loved ones who've passed and they help you with that transition. I think it would be really cool. And I think it is starting to happen with younger generations. If, you know, maybe by the time I pass, in 20, 30, 40, I don't know, 10 days, who knows, hours, weeks, months, years, I could be here forever, that by that point in time, we are really, we've taken the fear away from so many things that our culture is just hanging on to in the Puritan world. And that religion actually becomes more of spirituality. And we actually embrace the idea of like something greater for real than ourselves, something that unifies all of us, that we are collective and, and that death wouldn't be as scary. Like it'd be more of a celebration. I agree. And I think that if that comes to happen, that people who with different religious beliefs, instead of fighting with each other, will start to find commonalities and those commonalities can bridge the gap in so many ways for so many people to understand and love each other because we have so much more that connects us than doesn't. I mean, I know it seems like we're all so divided right now. So I go to see a friend whom I adore. She is a good person and she is dating someone. She'll probably hear this too. So I have to be selective about what I'm saying a little bit, but not really because I don't censor myself much with anyone. And so we have very different viewpoints, but I have grown to tolerate the differences, hoping that beneath all of that fear, fear mongering, that, you know, we have some commonality. So they proceed to tell me that Democrats are socialists. And that, yeah, right. (laughs) And and that, uh, you know, Biden is gonna sink the country. And, and we're, you know, and so I'm like, You know, he's like, how are we going to pay for all this, these social programs? And I'm like, simple, we're going to pull out of a few wars. He's like, well, Trump hasn't been in any wars. And I'm like, look up U.S. Department of Defense and Veteran Affairs. They'll tell you that the only time that the U.S. of A. was ever in a time of peace was in the 1800s, most likely during a plague. So super ironic, because while the United States wasn't in a war, they were killing so many hundreds of thousands of indigenous people. I mean, yeah, it's not a war. It's a fucking genocide. Yeah. There's still conflict. We've never been at peace. Never. And and even if there's no spe- specific war, although many wars never ended, we are policing and militarizing in every single scape of the globe. I have friends that are in the Navy going to Africa. I have friends in the Marines, I know what's going on. I work for government too. So I think it's hilarious when someone who's uninformed and only gets their information from Fox News tries to tell me we're not in war. Well, then why are we spending $2.7 trillion on defense? Yeah, if we're not at war, let's pull that money out, put it into healthcare, education, infrastructure. Let's start feeding the homeless. 
let's, you know. If we had education, though, people would be fed up with this system. And it's better to keep us stupid. That is wildly true. It is wildly true how powerful education is and why they want to keep people uneducated, which is hilarious. Thanks to the internet, like anyone can learn anything about anything at any time. Free courses you can take, college level courses. And there's, there's abundance of information, videos you can watch, articles you can read. I really don't think the internet is a bad place. I think it's bad if you don't know how to use it right and you don't know how well, to- Well, it'll be bad if they censor it and they the don't field. allow, you know, if they censor it and don't allow, like they're, right now we're having a conversation, we're gonna have ads all day about some of the things we talked about. But when they start changing the information that you're looking up and it's misinformation and you're privatizing education so that it's geared conservative agenda, Even public education has been subject to agendas. A lot of people who grew up in the South don't believe that the Civil War was about slavery, which blows my fucking mind. Um, They genuinely don't believe that slavery had anything to do with it. And are genuinely shocked and horrified to find out that they were basically lied to. And it's not just the Civil War. That's just the the example I could think of right away. There are other things that people have found in old history books that they're still using because schools are underfunded that are wildly untrue. Yeah, well, and my kids know this. And that's why they're not as interested in education because they're like, really? This is half lies, half babysitting, and all bullshit. So, and I'm just like, I don't have a solution for you kids. You're really smart. And they come up with, they, they're the ones who tell me a lot of things and educate me. It's, it's like a re-education for me. I think education is going to have to take a shift. And I think we're sort of seeing that because of the pandemic, different ways of learning help different kids. And this one size fits all standardized testing bullshit doesn't work for most children. And uh, we're really going to have to overhaul the education system if we want to get anywhere in this country, because right now we're a fucking laughingstock. We used to be innovators. Not anymore, because everybody is just starving, working three jobs just to get by. Nobody has the energy or the motivation to innovate. And the people who have all the money just want to make more money. They're not going to do anything that benefits humanity unless it benefits their pocket. Well, it's funny. I saw like a spreadsheet of all the companies whose employees lost benefits and lost hours. And those are also the companies that hit like the largest numbers this year to date of, of making more wealth because of the tax breaks that they received and places like Amazon are making shit piles of money. Yeah. They're, uh, making, money the pandemic. Pandemic. they're making money off of the pandemic because so Walmart. The pandemic. Exactly. It almost seems like, okay, so back to the Friendsgiving that turned wildly different than anticipated it's just terrifying like the whole thing is terrifying because these are decent people who are actually like and they might think they think the same thing of me they think that i've completely gone awry i'm getting my information from the wrong resources and that you know i am going to wake up one day and this world that isn't a good place and i'm like have you not seen the world right now it's not really that great of a place right now (laughs) i think we already woke up to that yeah yeah, I know I have. It, the more I learn, the more I'm like, ah, oh, fuck, this is hell. We're in hell. This is terrible. It's like people are starving and homeless and poor and struggling for literally no reason. We have enough money. We have enough food. We have enough resources to go around. We just have a few people who are hoarding shit 
and a bunch of other people who just think that that's the way that things should be, that it's fine. None of this it's, is fine. No, it's, and it hasn't been for a very long time. I mean, these are, these are, you know, we go round and round the same topics because these are the things that are driving us all crazy and mad at night. Um, if we were to come up with solutions, I mean, I can be really hopeful about a lot of things. I'm happy that Trump is no longer in office, although I was told by two Trump supporters at Friendsgiving that the vote's not over and we're going to all have a big surprise. And I'm like, what, when he tries to pull dictator and polices the gov- like polices the people, is that what you really want? Right. It's like it, big it's Daddy really Trump? strange to me that these are the same people who preach freedom and liberty and, and, you know, rights of the citizens. And they're getting behind someone who basically doesn't give a fuck about them, only wants power, doesn't care how he gets power, would throw them under the bus for a corn chip. I mean, so I, I'm not sure. I, I want to see us come together, but there are some things that are fundamentally unacceptable white supremacy, racism, homophobia, hate of any kind directed at any group of people towards the poor, towards the homeless, towards anyone, at people who are causing harm. Like, you can punch a Nazi. It's always okay to punch a Nazi. And there's always exceptions. (laughs) The tolerance paradox, I think it's called, is that you cannot be tolerant to intolerance. Oh, so... That kind of goes into like what I saw. The Borat movie was hilarious where he's selling his daughter to the president. And then it comes down to Giuliani. And we touched on this a little bit, but they go around. And it's the the fact that Americans feel like they have to be tolerant to things that should not be tolerated. It's not just being nice to smile and do whatever uh, any psychopath says should be done. Just because they asked you, you should be like, hey, that's fucking wrong. And I'm not going to do that for you. And someone needs to have the hard conversation with you, Sally. Sally, why would you be willing to write something heinous on a cake? And you know, this is going to go to a group of white supremacists and you're taking that money. Why not say, hey, I really, you know, I'm sorry, this business doesn't support white supremacy and and we don't support uh, hate groups. Facebook. Right. And they do. And there was something that um, kind of touched on that. And I'm sort of hoping that it would pop up for me. Well, it, it's strange, though, because it's also now people are using freedom of speech to speech hate. And it's there's a difference. That's not what freedom it's of a speech huge, is. No. It's freedom of speech is they're not going to throw you in jail for what you say. It's not I'm allowed to sure. abuse people without any consequences. Right. I'm not allowed to start a hate group, recruit people, and then terrorize other people and use a platform and call it free speech. That's not free speech. That's a hate group. Yes. And uh, that can lead to violence. And I'm not one of those people who thinks that violence is never the answer, because if that were the case, you know, the Nazis would still exist. I mean, they do, but not. It's always good to hit a Nazi. I don't know. I feel like everybody in the world not world, I'm going to just speak of the USA, needs to go back to the playground and have some lessons learned. Maybe old school. I don't know. Hateful people raising more hateful people. And each generation has to wake up. And it's interesting that they always talk about bullying being the reason for school shootings. But it's not usually the chubby kids that are shooting up schools. It's not the, the... 
only black kid who gets picked on for being black who's shooting up a school. It's not the gay kids that are shooting up school. It's not the kids that actually get bullied and picked on that are shooting up the school. It's the white kids. That are privileged. That feel entitled. That don't get what they want. That have access to guns. That shoot up the school. It's and not so-, so much that we have a gun problem. It's we have a white supremacy problem. We have a problem with how we're ye- raising young white men in this country. There is a total sense of entitlement. And I sometimes even see that come out with my son. And we have really big topics and conversations about this because I don't want him getting led down a road. I don't think that would happen. He's a very compassionate and smart kid. But that being said, you know, you want to fit in, you need a father figure, you need whatever, because a lot of the father figures just aren't there. You know, they're just not stepping up. They might be putting food on the table and a roof over the head, but they're not emotionally, emotively role models or supportive. No, and I do think there's a massive disconnect between men's emotional needs and, and what society says is acceptable. Well, and part of this might come from the fact that we're teaching men and other generations to stuff down their emotions and not actually have hard conversations and, and discovery. So if you don't have self-discovery, then fear and, and hatred breed, you know? I mean, if you don't have the ability to even look within yourself, because that's not allowed, then, you know. And how do you cope with difficult emotions? How do you cope with rejection? And a lot of this comes from rejection when they feel rejected and they feel entitled, they're entitled. So how could you reject me? Then they want to hurt you because they don't know how to process rejection. And I think children, how to process, no, how to take no for an answer is extremely important. We have this idea that if you're going to be successful, you're not going to take no for an answer. Fuck that. That's, yeah, that's insane. Rape culture. That Not only white supremacy, but rape culture. No is the answer. A lot of the times you need to learn how to lose with dignity. You're going to lose a job. You're going to get into a relationship that doesn't work out. You're going to have a lot of loss in life. And that's just part of it. And you're going to have learn how to look, deal with it. The, the, the largest, you know, head of state cannot handle no right now. He's in complete denial. He's, he's rallying the troops basically for, uh, they're gonna have to take him out in handcuffs. It's gonna be ugly as fuck. It's gonna I'm be gonna hilarious. Gonna have to take him out like a bear that got stuck in a Walmart, and I <laughs> love that imagery. <laughs> yes, it's and that's. I mean, he's a great. I'm not gonna speak his name because everybody knows I, he, I is, he has enough of yeah. people saying his name. But he's a perfect example of an entitled white kid who always got what he wanted growing up and never had nobody to work for anything. No. Yeah, nobody said no. When he was his businesses were failing, his dad would go make 13 million dollar deposits at a casino that was losing that much, you know. And and so n- never facing consequences. And I've been guilty of that with my kids at times. And it's not good. They have to have consequences and responsibility and learn that it's okay to not win sometimes to be a good loser. Yeah. And they want to joke and say that we're the participation trophy um, generation. But no. At least you showed up. <laughs> tried. Like the participation trophy. I actually got one. Um, my, 
my t-ball league we were terrible everybody still got trophies and we still got a uh like an ice cream party and it was like a pity party and i was like i don't need this (laughs) (laughs) this this isn't for me this is for the parents yeah the kids it's for the parents it's to stoke their parents egos like oh you still tried yeah you lost but i mean that's okay a funny ass meme that says this is what happens when you give trophy trophies to kids that lose and they it shows like people in civil war gear like still reenacting the confederacy and it was just funny because it was like you know learn how to lose confederate monuments are just participation trophies yeah because there's they're literally monuments to a failed insurrection trying to overthrow the government which is wildly inappropriate i'm not sure that any other country allows statues of basically terrorist groups that tore your country in in two trying to create a new country like i don't think that you want to celebrate that that wasn't something that was good. No, but I do wonder how much of that is going to repeat itself again. I but wonder really if we are. Weird when people are like, well, how will people know about it if there aren't statues? And I'm like, books, the internet, education, history classes. I mean, who gets their information from, from statues? statues? I'm like, who actually pays attention most of the time? We've had all these streets and all, I mean, I'm just as guilty where I'm driving down different streets and I'm like, oh yeah, I don't know who Vance is. I don't know who blah, blah is. I don't know who well, the fuck I started looking are. up and most of them are white supremacist assholes. And, and heinous human beings. Yeah. Responsible for murder, sometimes rape. I mean, like it's, and they don't need statues. But we, we, what I'm learning and I think everybody's finally opening their eyes to is that this is a white supremacist country built on systemic racism and we all need to fucking wake the fuck up. Yeah. It's terrifying. I feel like I've been living in an illusion. I feel like I've said this before, but it's worth saying again. When I was little, I was raised to believe that we were like the freest country. Like we had the freedom of the press and freedom of religion. And, and I thought other countries didn't have those. Like we were the most free. That's how I was indoctrinated basically. And then I got old enough to realize not only do other countries have those things, they have healthcare for everybody. They have, you know, guaranteed vacation time for everybody. They have such a higher standard of living, but we're the freest. No, not even close. Are we doing like I'm now starting to do more research on my own. I mean, I really don't know what's happening on both sides. I don't think a lot of people know what's really happening. We're kind of just fighting about the obvious things, the monuments, uh, human rights within our country, healthcare, pandemic, losing your job. But we have no idea what's going on on a global level. Like what are these governments doing you really don't have any idea what's going on and i find out the most information honestly through like obscure social media platforms because that's where people from other countries tell me things and one thing that i just learned was apparently france is doing some pretty heinous shit to their muslim population and china by the way China is making the uyghurs go to re-education camps 
like instances, this is genocide. You don't have to kill someone for it to be genocide. You erase no. their culture. No, it's what they're doing is it's wrong and we need to be talking about it. And where, what happened to the UN? I thought the United Nations was supposed to be policing like genocide and hate groups and all of these things. You know, where are they? What are they doing? And and the thing is, I had so much more faith in humanity. I had so much more faith in the idea of world government breaking things like this up. I had, you know, faith that since World War II ended and they had the trials of the Nazis, that we would come down hard if we ever saw any behavior like that happening again to stop it before it happened. And I'm not seeing any of that. Because people that are in power are actually following the cycles of the past and they're like, okay, well, this is where it went wrong. We need to convince people that they're losing jobs because of Mexicans and Muslims or whatever their fucked up view is and turn the population against these people. And, and then it's okay to murder, rape, and dispel of their bodies, which I've never understood. If you're a human being, how is that okay? If you're any kind of a religious person, I don't care what religion, all of the premises of all the religions are do not harm others. I mean, I almost feel like if there was some kind of like parting of the seas and a great par- prophet to come down, this would be the time because shit's gotten fucked I know. I joke all the time with people. I'm like, I'm not Christian, but can you tell Jesus to come back? Like, it's the time. Please. Please. People all the time will, like, say, like, you need Jesus. Something's wrong with you. But, like, really, we need Jesus. We need someone who's going to whip the shit out of bankers and tell rich people they're not getting into heaven. Like, we need that as a society. We need someone who's going to be like, we need to help the poor. Because apparently we're not capable of those kinds of thoughts on our own down with the immigrants. I just, I think since this is a beautiful time to reinvent what Thanksgiving should mean for the kids and I this year. So uh, on that vein of thought, I was reading something about how um, one of the indigenous tribes that uh, is, is credited with doing Thanksgiving actually had uh, the same celebration way before immigrants appeared on this land like they had these celebrations decades if not centuries before the quote-unquote first thanksgiving it wasn't the first one it was just the first one with white people and i think we really need to dig into that and hey let's celebrate another culture's holiday let's do it how they did it i don't know many of i mean that's what we used to do you know back in pagan times is everything was an orgy and a feast and there's a better way to celebrate a holiday i don't know I mean, that's what I'm saying. But, I just don't uh, have enough pagans in my life. <laughs> what is going to be my family's dismay? They're going to do like a prayer or whatever. I am going to read something from from an indigenous author. I haven't picked it out yet. I have a few in the running, but I am going to read something about quote unquote Thanksgiving at the dinner table to make everybody uncomfortable and sort of try to decolonize this this celebration because it doesn't feel like a celebration to me in i hate how we just sort of whitewash the whole thing and well nobody pays attention okay so we're all doing these different things for halloween or halloween for thanksgiving and for christmas you know and christian holidays they all started many of them like eshtar 
started from pagan uh, holidays, I think it's important to go back and do the research. Why is there turkey? Why is there eggs? What does this represent? Is this something I want to represent in my life? Instead of just blindly following anything. I mean, we are lemmings just waiting to fall off a fucking cliff. Less of that. I, being a pagan, do love a feast. So I hate Thanksgiving, but I love the feast. And I don't do the traditional turkey, whatever, stuffing. Myself, I have a bison roast every year. Where can I get my hands on that? Because this year it's me. Like nobody's coming to visit. It's just the kids and I. And I want us to have some really good conversations and kind of reinvent this holiday. I mean, it's good to be thankful. Maybe it's grateful day. Maybe it's, I I said grace at, at our Friendsgiving and I don't really remember what I said, but it was about like people trying to like put their issues aside and find commonality in humanity and just like loving your neighbor again. What I would do on, uh, fucking talk to and actually listen, we'd find so much more common ground. Talk to each other. Look into well, each other's eyes. I don't know. We really do have to take a deep, dark, hard look at the ugly truths of our country if we're going to move forward. We need to take incremental steps. I would love to leap. I would love it. I would love to go from where we are now to a society that takes care of one another and loves each other. But we're not there yet. And it's going to take incremental steps to get there because a lot of people are not on board. We need more democracy. We need more people participating in the process. You know, in vein of thought, I would love to hear from our listeners as to what they would like to hear us talk about. So, again, I, I know we've mentioned before we're on Instagram, ICUFM. We're on Twitter at ICUFM Facebook page, I think. We also have our email, icufm at gmail.com. Reach out to us. We would love to have more interaction with our listeners. We'd love to build our audience through engaging conversations that might grab somebody who's not really a podcast listener, but they'll read something online. We'll be here. We're going to try and get on a more regular schedule to drop these podcasts. But it would really be awesome if in between we could have these conversations off of the podcast with our listeners too. It's always great to be with you and all of you. We really appreciate all of our listeners and we appreciate your time and we would love to hear what your viewpoints are, even if they're not the same as ours. Absolutely. Peace out. (laughs) 